Hello, and welcome to Be Positive, Shoot Negative Podcast. Yes, we are back. It is season two, and I thought, why not start it off with a bang and have the man, the myth, the legend, Ben from In An Instant. You guys know the deal, so without further ado, let's hop right in. So welcome to Be Positive, Shoot Negative Podcast. Um, How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing amazing. How are you, Joey? I'm doing great. Can't wait to hop in. Uh, starting season two, and let's uh, go. Season two opener. There you go. I thought it, w- it would be the best way to start off is with the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Ben. Within an instant, so you came out of the gate running uh, with the your channel. Um, how much do you feel that helped you? As well as what advice can you give to people who want to start a channel? Yeah, I think um, coming out of the gate within an instant on YouTube hot it was like i want to do a hot drop i wanted to come in like as as hard as possible because i felt like it's the best way to catch people's attention i i I figured if i'm doing this and i had like reservations about even doing it to begin with i was like if i'm gonna actually do this and i'm gonna like start a youtube channel i'm I'm not gonna go in like half measure on this like i want to go big and i wanted like people to be able to watch the first episode and watch the 60th episode and feel like it was all the same sort of feel like it wasn't like they'd start out and be like okay this guy was just like doing selfies on an iphone and now he's got like a nicer camera like i really wanted to come out strong and i think it was a tremendous help definitely in terms of getting the channel off the ground um in terms of like recommending that or not it's tough because a lot of people might be apprehensive about getting into or putting themselves out there and I don't want to be the guy who's like, yeah, you got to plan everything 100% and make sure you have everything figured out because then a lot of people just won't do it. And I think a lot of like good voices wouldn't be heard. But I personally like my strategy was just go harder, go home. Yeah, um, you've you've done music videos and commercial work um, and you could definitely see that help your you and your channel. Um, what are some of your favorite sets that you've ever done in your professional work yeah i've done like a lot of different stuff some of it is like commercial productions for like broadcast um music videos are always amazing all of that absolutely was like a huge help in terms of coming into youtube because you know just even having the production materials having a studio i mean that's already like an advantage going into youtube but um i think one of the most like fun and fulfilling experiences i ever had was this stretch where I was documenting the arena football league, which is a minor, a minor league football um, league. And I'd been a fan of it since I was little, but I, once I was a professional in the video industry, I was like, I got to really try to do something with them. Like I can't lose this opportunity. And so some of my favorite experiences were standing like on the field with a camera, you know, between the walls. Cause it, it was a football league that had walls so you're trapped in this field with these players. And I feel like there was nothing better than that because it was so uh, the, the adrenaline of potentially missing a shot and the, the focus required to film sports is so intense. Um, it's not like you can pre-plan every shot of a music video or you can with a music video, but with sports, it's like out the window immediately. So that was definitely one of my favorite, I guess you could call it a set. It was a field, but <laughs> yeah, I totally feel um, like I work with Pac-12 Network um, and 
my first ever um, like job or shift, I would say, was working um, at Cal Berkeley. Okay. And, and I, I've always been a football fan. I've been playing football since I was seven. Oh, let's go. And just like walking onto the field and being like, I feel really small. Yeah. And, it, and you're just like, it's crazy. And then I'm, I'm a short-ish guy. And then like I'm walking yeah. around and these, these football players are like 6'3". And I'm like, no way I could have made it. But like that, that was, <laughs> I totally yeah, feel there, it. it. And you feel, this is sort of off topic, but whatever. So it, when you're filming and you're that close to the the players, um, that experience of you really get to feel what being a professional football player feels like, because obviously you're not getting hit, but you're right next to the hits. You are hearing and feeling, feeling in a way, everything that's happening. And it gave me like a tremendously different appreciation for like the top tier professional football players, because the, the beatings that they're taking are unbelievable. And the like uh, passion to, to succeed is so um, like fundamental to everything they do. And it's so like that, that drive is, is something you're around every day when you're filming that stuff. And that's like another thing that is the thing that I loved about shooting it is that you're around these passionate people that are striving to do their best every day and performing at an incredibly high level and you're shooting them and you're doing your own thing, but you're also trying to do it at a really high level and you're also really passionate about it. So, you know, we're not always surrounded by artists every day in our everyday life, like all day and getting inspiration. I mean, we can do it online, but it was a whole nother thing to be around these players who are sort of artists in their own way. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who like would like to get into this industry? I think really understanding the fundamentals of, of a lot of different phases of production is like by far one of the most important things you can do, because I see a lot of people getting into, let's say they want to make a short film or something they maybe know how to use their camera, but they don't understand audio or they don't really understand editing very well. Like if you don't have the fundamentals down, then even entering is going to be a difficulty. <laughs> and like, I didn't go to film school and I, I self-learned a lot. So I know exactly what this feels like to be like, how do I even enter this? But the truth is there's tons of people that need video work. There's tons of people who will take a risk on you and as long as you're able to go in with a certain level of like, even if it's self-taught, but skill and do a lot of practicing, you can really build a portfolio, even just doing like, you know, uh, just like work that is, uh, you know, you could, you could do your own commercial, you could do your own little short films, you could build up a little portfolio of that kind of work. And, uh, and that'll, that'll be your entry point, I think. Yeah, um, you shoot a lot of expired film. Um, <laughs> I'm really jealous. Um, what are some advice to people who would like to shoot stuff like FP 100 C? Um, is it worth it? Um, like what advice can you give to people? Yeah. We briefly had that conversation of like, is it worth it to get into FP? And my advice, my advice for FP is avoid it at all costs because it will hurt you so bad. It'll hurt your heart and soul and your wallet, especially will be so pissed. Um, but there's a lot of expired film that is really accessible. Like there's a lot of Polaroid film that you can get on eBay. That's really not that expensive. And it's like a fun thing to try out um, peel apart film and stuff like that. And I recommend it because it's, it's a fun experience. Um, I think in terms of like incorporating it into your portfolio, let's just say that's a separate uh, question. It's like, it, it, is, is 
expired film going to be like a part of what I shoot every day? And and expired film for me isn't really doesn't apply to a lot of the stuff that I shoot. But I always can think of a very specific situation or project where I would love to shoot with it. And that's like the best strategy, I think, because you're investing in it. So you want to use it for something special. Um, but in terms of FP, avoid it all costs. Yeah, I talked to uh, Brooklyn Film Cameras, and they just recently got a supply of the four by five. Oh my then, god! Yeah, yeah. And I started, I started pricing everything out, and I'm like, that's like buying a whole new lens for large format. It is. It is. And I'm just like, I want to do it because, like, I, I plan on moving back up to San Francisco, and I would like, I would love to capture like yeah, some yeah. of the stuff that up there on peel apart and just being from the age where like i never personally got to experience it yeah, so yeah. it would just be really cool because I, I know one instant started making yeah uh, so there is one instant which is using like the legacy materials that polaroid had um like when they went out of business uh, a bunch of that material was purchased by some guys in massachusetts that run a 20 by 24 camera which is like unbelievably huge and the it's peel apart film and so they've been using that chemistry for their film so it's expensive but um i totally feel you like there's a part of us that just you got to try it once like you want to say you tried it at least the four by five stuff is crazy but but what's hard about investing in like fp 100c like the the standard size film is that it's for two packs you could be buying eight by ten film like it, it just feels like what am i investing in you know, for 10 shots of a film that was literally nine bucks a pack, like five years ago. It's insane. Do you think they would ever bring back? Well, unfortunately with Fuji, they can't because they, first of all, they scrapped most of the machinery um, and they converted others to cosmetics machinery. Um, And Fuji just like, Fuji doesn't have that much of a, like a care for their, for their diehards like they they're a huge business i mean fuji they literally can't care that much i mean it's like you know they're, they're trying to run a multi-billion dollar conglomerate like they can't really be worrying about peel apart film but so i don't think they would ever bring it back but i think our last hope is is the guys over at like um like new 55 which is a project also out of massachusetts and those guys are have developed their own black and white chemistry so that's like a major deal because that could extend the life of peel part film for years to come. So we'll see what comes out of that. Hopefully some new developments. Hopefully they can streamline that a bit because we want to be peeling. We love peeling. The feeling is the feeling of peeling. I mean, it's huge. If you could only have one Polaroid gear from a certain decade, what would you go with and why? I think like the seventies were hype. Like the seven, the sixties, had some good stuff, um, but Integral film wasn't out yet. So like the you know Polaroid 600 film and stuff like that wasn't wasn't out in the 60s. So in the 70s you get the SX70 like that hits and that hits different. And that's like to me the only the only camera you really need because it is such a superior item that they never even topped. So like if I had to have one like Polaroid era camera, it would be from the 70s. And I I wonder like extrapolating into other uh types of film probably the 70s i mean i I shoot with a pentax 645 which is obviously not the 70s that's probably like two early 2000s something is it the n yeah the n yeah that's early that's early 2000s late 90s yeah so like there were some really cool medium format cameras that came out in like the late stage of film photography but 
still, if you, if you put me in 1975, I'm going to be thriving at the camera store. I'm going to be absolutely thriving. Where do you see instant uh, photography in 10 years? It's interesting to think about where it's come from. Like it, it came from a place of like desperation. There was nobody shooting it for a long time unless they were shooting Instax and Polaroid was going away. And we've been swept up in this like analog revolution, which I think is incredible, obviously, for photography of all kinds and for music and everything. But uh, the, I guess the question is, is that here to stay? Because as long as, as long as people remain obsessed with analog things and vinyl and, and old cameras and the way things used to like look and feel as products, as long as people are interested in that, I think that Polaroid has a long future ahead. As long as they're in the right hands and a company that isn't like Fuji. Fuji could discontinue Instax tomorrow, who don't know. But as long as Polaroid's in the hands of someone that's rich and is like willing to keep taking risks on it, I think it could stick around. I mean, the, the issue that Polaroid has in general is that it's expensive to make it. It's, it's very, very complicated. It's one of the most complicated analog products ever made. And so that's a challenge. But uh, they need to just, I think the key going forward is people need to learn how to produce Polaroid film. I think they need to be teaching the next generation of people that work in their factory and people that can repair cameras. And like, as long as there's a younger generation that understands the chemistry and understands the production, Polaroid can keep, can keep thriving. And I think that um, we're in a digital, you know, hive that we can never escape from and it's like going to take over the rest of history like i don't think we're going back from that you know there's always going to be this you know technological world obviously and and we're living most of our lives in an intangible space so as long as that keeps progressing and people can pass on to their kids the idea that this stuff's actually great and like it's not online but it's huge for me like i think i think it'll thrive yeah, it's a lot of um, what I'm starting to see is like a lot of professional photographers starting to switch back to film. And a lot of people like me, I never I, I've had an Instax wide, the the really ugly one that you. Always, yeah, the one <laughs> the, that doinker. You don't, the doinker. Yeah. So <laughs> I've always had that, but I've always used Instax to capture moments like um, I got it uh, like my freshman year of college and I would go out and take pictures of my friends. And then what I would do was have them sign it at the bottom That's and awesome. have a date. Up. So I have, I think, uh, yeah, these are all filled with. That's, That's awesome. <laughs> and I just recently got into Polaroid and it's, um, I've always just thought of it like instant film is just something to go out and just take a picture of and forget about it. Yeah. And now you can see, especially due to what you're doing on YouTube, I've you can use it as a artistic format for sure. And I oh, feel yeah. like a lot of people are starting to catch on to that. Yeah, I think that the fact that the the fact that the chemistry is is imperfect and and so creative inherently that artists are gravitating toward it where previously Polaroid was pretty like photorealistic back in the day. It wasn't it wasn't photorealistic, it was still a really creative tool, but um, it was mostly being used for like snapshot photography for like families and stuff. But uh, the new Polaroid film is so different and so dreamy. And it's cool to see the the rest of the film community embrace it like more and more. I feel like there used to be a separation sort of between people who were shooting like 
you know, medium format and Polaroid. But now I do feel like everybody, everybody's got like an SX70 or everybody's got like a Polaroid and, and uh, it's something to have around. I love seeing like, I don't know, you know, Nick Carver. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nick Carver with the new 55. and Yeah, absolute yeah. God, Nick Carver. Like even this guy who's an extremely uh, well-taught photographer and is, is a master of the craft in, in many ways, he'll take an SX-70 with him and just take, like everybody can get joy out of it. You know, no, whether you're, you know, extremely detail-oriented landscape photographer who cares about every single piece of grain in your film or whether you're a kid who's never even heard of Polaroid before, never shot with it when they were young, everybody's sort of getting into it. So I think it's huge. I, I just hope that continues for sure. All right, here's a really big question I got for you. How many instant cameras do you own? I, every time I think about this, I, I almost like don't want to figure it out. <laughs> like I don't want to really know. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be, it's gotta be over 30 to 50 probably. It, but most of them I are honestly are just like for fun, like collector's items. Like I don't shoot with most of them, which I usually don't like. I, I, like I don't love when people just like collect really nice, like large format cameras and don't use them. But Polaroid cameras, most of them, you can't use them anymore anyway. So I don't feel so bad they're sitting on the shelf. But in my arsenal, I, I typically use like my SLR 680 and my Goose 600 SE. That's like my pack film camera. And honestly, like I could just use those two. The other ones are just fun and like, you know, shooting if I want to shoot Instax or something. Yeah, that's like kind of um, I used to have a bunch of film cameras and I would always just gravitate to just one. Yeah, well, then, and, you know, and then I'm like, OK, I got to get rid of the other ones. So that's kind of <laughs> yeah. like where I went at. Um, where do you get your sweaters from? It is honestly <laughs> like. The style is amazing um, and definitely a highlight to look forward to every week. I'm not a yeah. Broncos fan, just so you know, but like you, you got drip. <laughs> yeah, I got those Broncos knits. Um, well, some of them I design myself. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to go about the strategy of finding maybe a vintage clothing, like I'm, I'm always on the hunt or if something that simply doesn't exist, I just make it myself. Like I'll, I'll make a design and have it printed or something like that. And so I tend to rock a lot of custom designs, you know, one of ones, but um, yeah, it's all over the, all over the web, but especially some of the, like the Polaroid specific sweaters, like those don't exist. So you got to make them. You got to hit Photoshop, export, upload. You got, you got new swag. Uh, you released a book uh, relatively recently. Uh, where did the inspiration come from? Uh, where can we actually purchase a copy? As well as uh, what was difficult about the whole process? Yeah, so the so the book is called Roadside Hudson Valley. It's a uh, it's available on Blurb currently. Um, I had done like a pre order, but now now it's just like an open edition on Blurb. Um, so the book is essentially a trip through the Hudson Valley of New York and a look at the last remaining mid-century signs and, and architecture and businesses that are still up. You know, New York has such high turnover, um, you know, right, right outside New York City, uh, as the suburbs and exurbs expand, buildings get demolished. A lot of like incredible structures go down every single year or every single day, it seems. So I, I was kind of getting urgent about it. And I was like, I love so many of these 
these signs that are so iconographic and so familiar to me from growing up and seeing these things and from an era that like is getting wiped away design wise um, for other reasons, it's good to wipe that air away, but, <laughs> but the signs are really great. So I decided to go out and, and sort of collect them in, in instant photos and use a format that is from approximately the time they were designed and, and from these, when these places were around and put a book together. And it was, it took about a year or more. It took over a year, honestly. And that, that led to like a variation in, in a lot of like the styles and the films I was using. And, and so that was one of the challenges I think was making it into like a uniform piece. And in some cases I had to go back and reshoot stuff, but um, ultimately part of the challenge, one of the biggest challenges was just knowing when to walk away from it and like knowing when you're done with it and when to like actually sit down and like make yourself design the book and, and release it. And, and cause like that part is stressful and like hard, you have to like pre-order books and pay money and no, and that's not ideal, but uh, I'm, I'm so proud of it. I'm so glad that it's out there and it's so insane to freaking hold a book with your name on it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a mind blowing experience. I I'm working on a second book right now, but um, I'd say I recommend everyone do it, even if it's just like a one-off for, for yourself. Any insight into the second book you mentioned the second book is gonna be somewhat similar to the first book in the sense that it's a lot of like mid-century signs but it's all in one town really within like three blocks um in new jersey a a town in new jersey that has an area that is essentially like frozen in time and like almost legally frozen in time like there's a there's a preservation league that like moderates how everything looks and it is absolutely ridiculous. I, I shot the project during COVID, obviously. So there was nobody there. Um, I was standing in the middle of the street taking these photos and I just couldn't believe it. Um, so I'm very excited for that. I don't know when it's coming out yet, but um, keep keep it locked. Keep it locked. So speaking of going through history, what is your best memory or weirdest story with a camera in hand? I think um, going back to the the Arena Football League stuff, the best memory that I've had, you know, I grew up a fan of this league. Um, my, the team that I was rooting for never won when I was young. Whatever. It happened. Um, <laughs> but so I was never a part of, like, the championship vibe of, like, going all the way, going deep into the playoffs, shooting. Um, but, like, the second season where I was doing it, like, for the league and was, like, being hired for it, the team that I was shooting like every single week won the championship and it was on like ESPN. It was huge. It was really hype. And I was in the locker room. I put my uh, really nice camera down because I didn't want to get doused with champagne, but I, I brought my phone into the locker room and at that's a camera. I know I'm a little bit cheating, but I was like, this is as much as I want to risk with this. And it was the most unbelievable experience of all time. I mean, like it was a lifelong thing coming to life in front of me, you know, the guys treated me like family. So it was as if like I had won their pouring champagne down my back and on my head and on my phone on purpose. And <laughs> it was the most like rowdy and jubilant and exciting experience ever filming something. And the footage is hilarious and worked really well for the video. Um, so I think that's gotta be number one. A lot of the, those experiences go back to that league, which is actually no longer around as of last year um, with COVID and like a, a lawsuit they actually folded after like 33 years so 
that's that's in the past but now i'm on youtube.com and new memories to come <laughs> um piggybacking <laughs> off of uh history uh if you could bring back one instant film from the dead what would it be and why i think that if i was able to bring back fp100c i would be made president of analog thing i'd be i mean the the thing about fp the thing is i want to pick a polaroid film but the reason that fp is so amazing is that it is similar in some ways to like the 669 or polaroid 690s of the world when they were fresh films they looked like amazing obviously but the fact that fp100c has a negative that you can claim is 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 crazy I mean, the negatives are unbelievable. I recently was like scanning some and, and just it was blowing me away the, the amount of detail and and people make whole projects based on FP negatives. And so it's so flexible in that way. You get the instant film experience. You get some of the darkroom experience. And if I could bring anyone back, it would be a late fallen brother of FP. <laughs> Rest in peace and peace. I think this is going to be probably the most difficult question. Um, if you had to keep one camera for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Do the other cameras like burn or? Yeah, do you have to watch gone. them burn. Okay. You have to watch. No, I. Whenever I ask this question, I'm like, you're either like on a stranded island. Okay. So like then people start being like, if I had to use it as a weapon, so then right they, naturally, naturally, yeah. right. But I don't, I don't see any like instant camera being able to be really used unless you have the goose. Then I yeah, think- the goose could be used lethally for sure. Yeah. Um. If if I had to have one for the rest of my life, it would probably be the SLR 680 because I think Polaroid film will, will be around hopefully for at least <laughs> a few more decades. Um, I, I think if it was, if like pack film was around and, and we live in a vacuum, I would bring the goose because it's just like the goose is unbelievable. The goose is a large format camera that you can just carry around and shoot very easily with, with a rangefinder. It's, it's one of the craziest cameras ever with that Mamiya lens, but with the current situation as it is, I'll go, I'll go SLO 680. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you. It means a lot that you uh, took time out of your day and came on. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. I can't believe we're leading off season two. I mean, everybody's hype about it. The streets are rioting. We're throwing all our cameras in the river and keeping one for the rest of our lives. So it's great. Thank (laughs) Thank you for having me on. If you would like to see some more of the amazing work of Ben, you can see him on YouTube and on Instagram. All the link and information will be in the description. If there is an artist that you would like to see on this show, head over to Instagram. Follow me at Joey underscore Bally. That is J-O-E-Y underscore B-A-L-L-I. And shoot me a DM and tell me what you think. Thank you for listening and stay safe out there, guys.